Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. Both to speak and to hear. To believe and to obey. We need you. Because without you, outside of you, we can do nothing. So this morning we just come, Father, as your children. When you just surrender at your feet. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Teach us. Teach us, Lord. You are the eternal rabbi. The eternal teacher. You alone have the words of life. Speak to us. Speak to our inner man. Speak to our spirit, our soul, our whole being, Lord. Speak. Your words have never lost its power. It still has the same power. When you first spoke creation into being, Lord, speak into us too, Lord, today. Wait at your feet, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So we had a baby dedication and we are just four days away from a wedding. See, life is usually packed with events. That's why today we even have what is called an event manager who will help us to prepare for these events in so many different ways. How to prepare for a baptism, how to prepare for weddings, jobs, homes, houses, cars, Every event in life, you need to be prepared. But actually, if you look at it, there is no guarantee about any of these things. There's no guarantee that you'll get married. There's no guarantee if you get married, you will have a child. There's no guarantee you will have a job, or if you have one, you will keep it. There's no guarantee even if you have a job, you'll be able to buy a home. See, Almost for everything in life, there is no guarantee. It's only one guarantee in life. It's one of the most sobering verses in the Bible. One event nobody can miss. In Hebrews 9 and verse 27, scripture says, it is appointed for men to die. It's an appointment. Today we are not, don't get, don't look depressed. I'm not going to talk about death today. But I'm talking about an appointment. It's an appointment no man, no woman, no child, nobody can miss. Often people prepare for this, those who prepare. Most people don't prepare because they're caught by accident by this event. But those who prepare, prepare it in a very worldly manner, people invest in a small piece of real estate like Abraham in the graveyard. Remember, that was the only piece of earth Abraham possessed in the promised land. The Bible says he bought a plot to bury his wife. So some people buy a plot in advance. Some people even put away money for a coffin and will leave a will behind saying, this is what I leave behind and this is the kind of coffin 
I require. I'm waiting to see when the ad will come by a plot in our cemetery, coffin free. Some people go even a little further. They donate when they are living. They write and give their body parts to help others when they die. Some people go the whole nine yards. They give their entire body to these medical schools. And if you ask medical students, you will see there are bodies on which they first practice their surgeries. Different ways people prepare for death. That's not what the Bible is talking about. Scripture talks about something after that. Scripture says, it is appointed for men to die once, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. It says, after that, this is a judgment. After that, it is judgment. When the writer of Hebrews puts the foundational, fundamental teachings for every church in the past 2000 years, he's put down six foundational, elementary teachings on which our lives should be based. He puts this there and this is the way he says. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. But he is now going to talk about what is the elementary teaching before we can go to perfection. Let us go. What is that? Not laying again the foundation of. This is the foundational teaching. First one, repentance from dead works. Two, faith towards toward God. Three, of the doctrine of baptism, various baptisms in the Bible. Four, laying on of hands. Five, resurrection of the dead. And sixth, eternal judgment. Hebrews 9.27 said, it's appointed to man to die once and after is this judgment. Hebrews 6.2 will tell you the nature of that judgment. It is eternal judgment. Kids, another month, some of them already started. You have what is called final exam. It's not eternal exam. It is final exam, meaning, yes, it is final. But even if you fail or do do not do well in certain subjects, you can still go back and spend one more year, improve. But this is not that way. Once you die, judgment, whatever comes from the throne room of God, is eternal. There's no way anybody can change that judgment. Nobody can change. So since nobody can escape death, technically we cannot prepare for death. You shouldn't prepare for death. What you should do, we should do, is we prepare for the judgment that comes after death. The best way to be prepared for death is to be prepared for this judgment Every day. Then death is not fearsome. Death is a welcome door. Onto the next next life. So a man who is prepared. For judgment. Lived his life in the light of eternal judgment. When his death is approaching. Close by. He says. I fought the good fight. I finished my course. And I have kept the faith. And I see my crown. He's already seen his judgment. Because he prepared for judgment. He was not preparing for death. A lot of people prepare for death. 
but they don't understand. It's not for death that we prepare. Every one of us, because nobody, James will put this imagery like, who are we? We are like the vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. The grass of the field, another writer will say, there today, gone tomorrow. It doesn't matter how young and healthy you may look today. This could be your last day. It's nothing that is, only today is, we live. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. So everybody lives in the light of eternal judgment. We don't have to be f- afraid. The Bible is very, very clear. There are two deaths. We saw the resurrection of dead in Hebrews 6. Every man from Adam to the last man when that trumpet blows, everybody will rise. This is how it describes in Revelation 20, 11 to 15. Then I saw a white throne, great white throne. And he who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Books were opened, and another book. The book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is how this creation ends. And chapter 21 onwards is the new creation. So we cannot escape death. What we can prepare for is for this judgment. If you read scripture closely, the first preparation you and I have to make is to be very sure that our name is in the book of life. In the book of life. The Bible is absolutely clear. There is no migration of souls. Nothing like that. There are two deaths. First death and the second death. Everybody will go through the first death. But it is God's desire. Everybody doesn't go through the second death. No one should, but many will. So the first preparation in life is to make sure that your and my name is there in the book of life. This entire gospel is tuned to preparing people to escape the second death. It's not about this world. It's not about this life. It's not about career, nothing. The whole thrust of the gospel is to escape the second death. To see that our names are in the book of life. Yet, on earth, people are more worried about the first death. There is only one way to escape the second death. There are many ways to hell, but only one way to heaven. John chapter 10 and verse 9, scripture says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the way. There's no, I am the door. There's only one door. 
you want to enter into heaven you want to have your name written in the book of life there's only one door one portal only one door and jesus is the door there's no other door there's no other door in john chapter 14 and verse 6 jesus said i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me In Acts chapter 16 when the jailer asked this question sirs what must i do to be saved they said believe on the lord jesus christ and you will be saved you and your household that's the only way there's no other way nothing of man all our works whatever we have done or planning to do is going to make any difference the only way we can get our name in that book is believing what god says you have to believe in my son that's the only way there's no other way and once your name is there in the book of life stay in him see that your name remains in that book it is god's birth register stay in him see that your name remains in that book people don't believe this but it's written in the bible in revelation chapter 3 and verse 5 he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and i will not blot his name from the book of life okay so when you have a usage like that that also means it's always a possibility that our names can be blotted from the book of life It, it's it's simply the simply that's how free will works the kingdom of god is open but you and i have to choose to enter into the kingdom of god that's the free will which god has given us we have to choose now it doesn't then it doesn't make sense that after i have entered into the kingdom of god my free will is taken away i can never get out now even if i don't like it i am destined to spend an eternity with the god i don't like anymore doesn't work Okay, so God says, first see that your name is there. Second, see that it's never blotted. Work towards growing in that life. Stay in Him. So we will see until we really die. Until we really die. We will never realize the value of God's own Son. What He did for us on the cross. The value of the Word of God. And the value of the church. until we die we will not realize how important these three things played in our life do you remember the parable of lazarus and the rich man do you remember the cry from hell this is the cry from hell he said i beg you therefore father that you would send him to my father's house the man died and woke up in hell and realized everything he had read in his jewish torah was true but he hadn't believed please he's crying for i have five brothers that they may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment they were torah believing jews the religion made no difference because they hadn't believed the blood of the lamb he's got i got five brothers I got five brothers abraham's answer is They have Moses and the prophets. Let the 
them hear them. He says, if you don't hear the word and believe in it, even if somebody goes back from the dead and speaks, nothing is going to change their life. Salvation is only one way. You have to believe what God has said. This is the way. The only way. Every man, from this we can have a premise that every man in hell is a very energetic evangelist. But he has no audience. And he's a literal fire and brimstone preacher. So be sure, always be sure your name is there. Continue to walk in him. Continue to be faithful. And when you fail, repent. Walk in repentance constantly. Bible will say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So how do I prepare? Not for death, but for judgment. If I believe your name is in the book of life, then funny thing is that knowingly or unknowingly, everyone is preparing for the day of judgment. The apostles knew about it, that it is not an easy day. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 11, knowing therefore the, what's the word used? Terror of the Lord. Not fear. Terror of the Lord. We persuade men. It's not going to be a pleasant day for everybody. It's going to be a terrible day. It's an incredibly terrible day. Scripture says, remember the portion we read from uh, Revelation 20? It says on that day, heaven and earth fled from his face. Fled. It's a terrible day. So they are saying, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade men. Don't take this message lightly. The apostles have cried and died for this message. In Hebrews chapter 12, when God talks about the shaking of everything, he says, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Then like I said in Revelation 20.11, scripture says that day, everything fled. Him who sat on it. You have to see the two sides of God. Paul will say, consider the kindness and the severity of God. Yes, we enjoyed worship today. Yes, we loved the songs today. Yes, we want to be held in his arms, protected. But that day, nobody is going to be held in his arms. It's a different Jesus altogether. It's a judge on his seat. And a judge sits on his seat. It's a different, it's an office. It's an office. There are no sentiments there. Books are opened. Yet the apostles, the Holy Spirit through them, gave people the confidence. You don't have to be scared. This is not a scary message. They say, you don't have to be scared. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, The anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you, consoling all things, and it is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Yesterday, those who were there, what would we hear the message on? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And when you know you have grieved, 
Put it right very fast. Because you will never survive without the Spirit of God. And you remember the illustration I gave you yesterday? Scripture talks about as, us as clay. God as the potter. And the Holy Spirit has water. When the clay has water in it, you can mold it. But as the water decreases, the clay gets harder and harder. You take wet clay, you don't have to do anything. Just put it under the fan and come back 10-15 minutes later, it is hard. Come after an hour, it starts cracking. All you have to check, is my heart getting more tender or more hard? You will know whether the Spirit of God's influence in your life is increasing or it is decreasing. That's why God says, do not grieve my spirit. It's easy. You can know. You can know. These are not unknowable things. These are not mysteries. It's all there in the Bible. God says, don't grieve my spirit. Then he will go further and say, do not quench my spirit. That is what will happen in the last days. There is a hardening taking place. Why is it happening? Because the Holy Spirit has been grieved and grieved and he's withdrawing. He's withdrawing from the lives of people. He's withdrawing from churches. And as he withdraws from lives of people and the churches, you can see as God goes out, the world comes in. God, world comes in. And people become, become more and more tolerant to everything that is happening in the world. Why is it happening? Because the Spirit of God is withdrawing. So they will say, learn from that anointing. Abide in him. Learn, abide, stay. Now little children, abide in him. When he appears, we may have the confidence and be unashamed. You don't have, you can be bold. You can be confident on that day. You don't have to be ashamed. He says, but it is conditional to us continuously learning of the spirit of God and abiding in Christ. That's why I said it's not enough to get your name written on the book. Grow consciously, continuously grow in him. Because there is a day through the Bible that has been set apart as the day of judgment. It is timeless, so we are not talking, saying that the day is 24 hours because there is no time then. So we don't even measure it in terms of time. Let us see how Bible talks a few things about what will happen on that day. Romans 14, verse 11 and 12. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so then each of us shall give account of himself, not his family, not his wife, not her husband. Each one will stand alone. Nobody to support you, an argument. Each one stands alone before God. Each one, God says, will give an account. Of himself to God. In 2 Corinthians 5.10. will give us more information. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body. According to what he has done. Whether good or bad. So we have to give an account. Personal account. Two. It will be an account of our deeds. Doesn't stop there. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, Jesus said, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account 
of it in the day of judgment. You give an account of your entire life. You give an account of your deeds. You give an account of your words. Not words alone. Doesn't even stop there. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. All, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's just not an account of our life, not an account of our deeds, not just an account of our words. We have to give an account of our thoughts and our intentions. Everything. Not only that, we'll also have to give an account of our attitude. Matthew 11 and verse 29, Jesus says, Take my oak upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. He says, are you meek? How meek did you become? You see, whenever you make a judgment in any sports or anything, you have a judgment, you have a standard. Every judgment is based on a standard. Remember, the standard of judgment is Jesus Christ. Okay, we'll be judged. Okay, each one will stand before God, and there is Jesus standing, sitting before us. And what are we being judged is how much did we allow Jesus to grow in us? Attitude. In First Peter chapter three, verse four, Scripture says. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So you have five things mentioned over there. Five things mentioned over there. What are those? Thoughts, intentions, attitude, words, and deeds. If you look at these five, I taught the pastors last Saturday, Two are hidden. Nobody can read your thoughts or your intentions. Attitude is sometimes hidden, sometimes revealed. It's half hidden, half revealed. You cannot be very sure about the attitude. Some some people, their attitude stings. So it's visible. Some, they have a very gentle, meek attitude. It is visible. Not always. But thoughts and intentions are hidden. Attitude may or may not be hidden. But words and deeds are revealed. But God says it is not enough. These five has to come in one line. Then only you get the full picture of what Jesus is. That is what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in each one of us. To see that we become what scripture calls whole. A complete person. Remember it all begins with thoughts. It all begins with thoughts. If you can tackle it here, the rest can be tackled. That's where scripture says, meditate upon my word day and night. Meditate upon my word. Because the Bible reveals the thoughts of God. It reveals the thoughts of God. How does God think? If we can able to align our mind slowly as the Holy Spirit enables us to the way God thinks, the rest will start falling into place. That's what the Holy Spirit says. The anointing will teach you. The church 
is a place let me tell you church is a place where god's people are being prepared for eternal judgment it's a place where god's people should be i can't say is a place because every church i cannot say i don't know but it should be a place where god's people are actually prepared being prepared for eternal judgment it is not a place of entertainment though there may be some entertainment it is not a place where you get six tips or seven tips how to improve in this world on the contrary the church is a place where you are taught how to resist the world romans chapter 12 and verse 2 the cry of the holy spirit through the apostle is do not be conformed to this world do not do not be conformed to this world now let me ask you this question do you know that almost every ivy league the big ones university in the western world any you name it any university in the western world the old big ones the famous ones you know why they were established they were established to train men to become preachers of the word every one of them all the universities where people now go to the us consulate stand in line willing to take a loan pay a fortune to go and study were all started to teach people the word that's what education meant for thousands of years you may learn other subjects but this was the core text the core text was always the bible today what have you done everywhere we have taken god and his word out and has made secular education an idol and the biggest idolaters are christians we have taken god and his bible out replaced his education and without naming it we all worship saraswati education is our idol but that's what not ever for thousands of years that's what not education men education men a man is educated in the ways of god with the mind of god that's what all these universities were originally started for Harvard University everybody knows Harvard John Harvard whose name it is named was the presbyterian preacher Princeton University the number one the next big one was started by the new light presbyterians to train their pastors Yale University was started by the congregational church to train their pastors in all these places you cannot take the name of god anymore you are not even allowed to pray all these places were started to train people to study the word to preach the word and how to live for god so we took god out we took the word out and now we are wondering why our children are on drugs and are killing each other down to last week not just in us everywhere because if you take god out and make education into an idol the devil will move in he moves it you left that space empty not only does he move in alone he brings seven others more wicked than him 
what we have done and we are guilty we as parents we are guilty why are the children going haywire every day because their minds are warped they are being how does the bible begin what's the first line in the bible in the beginning god created and what's the first thing you learn in school evolution first you take the first line out of the bible the whole bible collapses first attack is on genesis 11 now if you go to the universities abroad or here anywhere what is the entire attack on and you don't even realize you're subscribing to that it's on gender god said he created them male and female they said no way that's not how it is we decide what gender is when you take first one out they start taking everything out you know what we pay through our nose to that idol called education so that you would succeed in the life without preparing our lives for the day when judgment will be set and we wonder why christians are depressed and discouraged because god says you worship another god not me another god you go to schools you should go to colleges you should study well but those are all skills which you should learn without ever ever forsaking the core text this should be the center of your text of your life but i am telling you every christian parent in every church including the church will let exams comes the children are absent why because you have replaced the core text with an idol called education then a day will come when the children will grow up and they will go to the world and will be swallowed by the world and you will cry and say lord where are my children god said but didn't you offer them on the altar saraswati took them took them this is the center this is the core and they are watching they are learning they are seeing that you don't mean what you say you don't believe what you say you substituted gods unless we as the people god's people humble ourselves and return back to god his place the kingdom and his place and his word another generation will rise who will not know god not only that who neither cares for god another generation is already risen don't you know the last latest barna opinion poll in usa the actual number of believers in america is only 10% i was shocked when i heard that because your last hope was that usa has got lots of born again they said no they don't even know their word they don't know what they believe in but don't blame the children don't blame the youth because you go through any campus you will see the youth has energy they have enthusiasm even if it is misinformed and misdirected they have energy in all the campuses and they are always fighting for some cause me too black lives matter something or other one kanaiya either one abhineshi whether something they will be always fighting because they have energy and they are fighting for a cause you know why they are fighting for a cause and they never stop fighting they lose battles but they never stop fighting you learn from scripture when joshua was fighting the amalekites which means the flesh it never says joshua got tired of the battle it only said moses got tired of praying 
Because an older generation stopped praying and the younger generation has gone for slaughter. Joshua never stopped fighting. He never tired of fighting. Moses hand God weary of prayer. So don't blame the younger generation. We have to take the blame. We put our hands down. And they start losing the battle. But they have never stopped fighting. They are still fighting in the campuses for different rights. If they don't find something, they will fight for a beetle or some snail or some whale. Some cost they will fight to fight for because they have the energy to fight. But the real battle they should be fighting for, they are not fighting. Why? Because we put our hands down. We grew weary. We grew tired. So learn from scripture. Joshua didn't get tired. Moses grew weary. One generation grew weary. Another generation lost their battle. Doesn't they just stop fighting? We have to put the blame where it really goes to so that a generation will come back. This will take great humbling from the older generation, great weeping in the prayer closet and crying out to God and say, Lord, let our children come back from the enemy's land. Because he had said, you do this, this is exactly what will happen to your children. You will wait and watch, wait and watch your children will be taken away as captives. They will go. They'll go. They're prospering in the world, but captives to the devil. And the names are not there in the book of life. Because we never thought that was important. So take life seriously. Look at how God looks. Because this is what Jesus died for. Jesus did not die, die for me so that I could have a career in the university unless that was his purpose for me there. Where I would be his witness. He didn't die for that. He died that I would have his life and his life would be a witness to the next generation. Because these are eternal truths. Because there is a day that is coming. That's why God says, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. People have knowledge about everything. Every little thing in the world is available now on internet and WhatsApp. All this information is passed around. How much knowledge do you have of this? The only thing that you will take across that will enable you to stand on that day. This. How much knowledge do we have? This is knowledge. That will stand on your behalf on that day. Lord, I knew it. I repented. I changed. Allow this to determine my life and my course. And your spirit gave me the strength, Lord. You said, here I stand. Isn't that how on the day of judgment for Israel on Mount Carmel, Elijah did? One man alone, in millions of people standing around, one man alone, did everything, stepped forward and said, Lord, I have done according to your word, now prove yourself. Will we be able to say, Lord, I did this? Give me an account. Okay, February the 21st. There is no memory loss in heaven. No, everything will be vividly remembered. All the contract and the constrictions of flesh is gone. Everything is remembered. And books are open. Every record is there. That's why it says books are open and the book of life. Books are open. Everything. This is what one angel will say. Lord, this is what he thought. Another will say, this is what his intention was. And Lord, this was his attitude. This is what he said. This is what he did. God says, hypocrite. You said one thing, you thought another thing, your intention was different. 
deeds everybody said wow what a wonderful deed god said you did deeds before men you did not do your deeds before god you getting it this is not we're not talking about losing of salvation if you are saved your name you're losing of your rewards because the bible talks about a whole set of people coming in with no rewards at all because they were not prepared for eternal judgment you don't want no teacher in his right mind in your schools will ever prepare a set of students to fail in the exam i should be out of my mind if i'm preparing my church on that day to fail i am accountable only for what i teach i'm not accountable for what you learn that you are accountable that's why scripture says in james chapter 3 verse 1 those of us brethren i didn't give it but it is there brethren many of you should not be teachers let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a ah many many pastors around the world is going to cringe in their boots on that day because they did not teach the people what they should be taught they were men pleasers they gave them what they wanted used nice sounding words like hyper grace and radical grace and all never prepared for them that day that day when heaven and earth will flee from his face and judgment would be eternal stricter he says teachers be careful because you will be accountable for what you taught we have been prepared for a day eternal judgment that's what happens this book is being taken out dusty gathering dust in our homes it's become a ritual in 100 years back 150 years back when people went to the universities and poured over this and studied and meditated and in the process learned a few skills also some science also on the way today this has become a ritual if we get time if we are very hurried one small portion okay i've done my portion running for science how we have changed how we have changed devil knows power of this word he knows it was this that defeated him jesus was alive defeated him with three scriptures from the book of deuteronomy when he died it was the word of god that defeated him on the cross because jesus was the word of god he knows the power of this so he will do everything possible in his strength to keep us away from this one book he doesn't care what other book you read he doesn't care as long as you don't read this book he is very happy one place he will try to keep you away from a place a church where the word of god is taught every other place he says i will give you free transport no problem remember god told jonah to go to nineveh he went to he went down to tarsus immediately there is a boat going straight and it is one berth is also vacant he paid the fare went went to the deck and said how convenient You see when you want to go away from God the devil will pay your bill. And he will say hallelujah lord i got my breakthrough god says no you're going to break through one day. Because you had no discernment. Absolutely no discernment. He had no knowledge about what the kingdom of God and the will of your father on earth is for you. That's why when they said lord father sir rabbi teach us to pray he said this is how you pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. His name hallowed thy kingdom come that will be done on earth it's very simple such a simple prayer 
but it has also become a ritual now let me tell you about revelation 20 was many many well meaning scholars pastors past present all believe that revelation 20 is talking only about the unsaved i saw the dead great and small stand i personally choose to disagree because of certain verses there my question is if revelation 20 which happens after the thousand year reign of jesus on earth is only talking about the unsaved people then answer me verse 12 I saw the dead small and great standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life if these are people who are not saved why should you open the book of life the names are not there anyway no god doesn't play games he doesn't play dice if all the people sitting here are condemned to hell nobody's name is in the book of life why should you open that book till you only said other books are open okay all of you are men for hell each one come let me see why will say why the reason is a lake of fire like i told the pastors lake of fire means different degrees surface degree 100 little below 200 little below 300 little below 500 when you have to spend eternity in the fire 100 and 200 makes a lot of difference that's how judgment is given okay this fellow okay mm hepsiva not so bad okay 100 degrees for eternity and you mm, 500 degrees think about that even then finally that's what scripture will say every tongue will every knee will bow every tongue will confess jesus is lord what will help you at that time for the first time in our life say hallelujah lord i got only 100 degrees he said if he had said hallelujah when you were living you would have been in another place so remember revelation 20 is not talking about only unsaved people it's talking about all people except the overcomers in romans 14 and verse 9 this is what um, to this end jesus died and rose again and lived again that he might be lord of both the dead and the the lord of both the dead and the living okay now you use this term because in revelation 20 it says all the dead arose small and great he is the lord of the dead and the living when the bible uses certain terms you have to use scripture to interpret scripture When Paul is telling Timothy or the Holy Spirit through Paul is telling Timothy about dealing with widows in the church because in the ancient world widows was a huge issue men kept on dying in battles and this thing so widows widow taking care of widows was a big issue in the church but you still rules are set how old should be no family members all that but there's another thing that is said about widows listen to what it says now she who's really a widow and left alone trust in the lord and continues in supplications and prayers night and day remember anna simeon and anna when jesus was taken on the 40th day this is a widow like that he says that's a genuine widow but she who lives in pleasure who likes the world who comes occasionally to church but she loves the world who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives you know how god looks at people he says you are a christian but you are dead while you are living and i am the judge of both the dead and the living judge of both the dead and the living so it's if it's our life is all about the world god says you are dead while you are living that's why i ask you check your heart what is your burden about honestly i don't know i'm talking about what is your burden about the kingdom and the souls that are being lost every day unable to reach restrictions are coming more and more and more and more in the nation you should look at what they are they are very clear agenda is very very clear 
they, nothing is hidden in this country. Everything is very clear. The big leaders are already up there. The recordings are all available with pictures of say, next election, super majority, constitution has to be changed. India will be a Hindu republic. And the constitution will be amended to make very clear, no prime minister, no minister, no MP, no MLA, no judge, no IAS officer, nobody can be appointed who is not a Hindu. They have said it very clearly. How are you prepared? To stand for this God and still try to get people into the kingdom? And if something like that happens, God forbid it happens, it will be worse than Pakistan's constitution. And it's not small people who are talking about These are people to get the height of the leadership who are talking about it publicly. And we are not worried about it. You will be worried about it if your entire dreams and aspirations are in the world. But if you are in the kingdom, you will say, Lord, for a time and a season like this, you chose me. I was born. Time. There are no accidents in your life. If you didn't want me to go through this, I would have been born 50 years earlier. Why did you bring me now in a season like this? Because this was my destiny in your kingdom. I am ready, Lord. I am ready. This, what the devil meant for harm, you will turn it for harm. Through this operation, we will win more souls to the kingdom. What's your burden? What's your burden? Because all over North India, I hear the reports. Pastor is already telling the churches, if they ask you religion, say Hindu. doesn't matter. And we get so excited when we get these priests doing snake dance and break dance in churches and all. Are you are you really prepared for what is coming? Are you really prepared? You are dead while you are living. Don't be dead while you are living. Be living. Count the cost. Jesus always said, count the cost. Count the cost. Count the cost. If only our eyes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15, scripture says 3.15. Can I have 3.15 please? Talks about judgment day. What it says? If anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through. Imagine your house is on fire and you were sleeping. Last minute you woke up and said, oh, your whole house and you have no time to get your certificates, your money, your clothes, nothing. You just ran out with what you have. That's how many will enter heaven. All you had was your salvation, nothing else. All your works were burnt. Absolutely gone. Scripture is talking about the judgment day. Many will come through the fire. Everything will be burned. Why did they come with their salvation? Because thank God salvation is the work of Another one. Foundation stone was okay. That's what 3.11 will say. What does it say? For no other foundation can anyone lay than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Foundation stone was right. Therefore he came through. You believed one time in your life for Jesus Christ. After that built it on the world. God says everything gone on judgment day. So God says be very careful. He doesn't change his word for anybody because his son died for this. Remember Lord's wife? Fire separated the husband and wife. The last minute, last second, husband and wife were separated by fire. What separated them? One look. Only one look. Last minute was only one look. Husband looked to the front, wife looked to the back, separated by fire. 
That's all. That's why it's the removal Lord's wife. Jesus said, yes, you have no clue what testing by fire is. Last minute, she's there. Her feet is probably near the gate of safety. She could enter in. Last minute, she turned. Gone. He got in. She got out. She's the case of somebody who was lost. He's the case of somebody who lost all his possessions. A type of somebody who came in just with salvation and nothing else. So if our eyes are open to the truth of eternal judgment, imagine if your children were told, this final exam is your last chance. See, I taught in another country many, 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 many years, donkey's years ago. It was a country where education was all by the government, only government schools, nothing else. And education is absolutely free. You get your board, if you're in the boarding, boarding is free, uniform is free, books are free, everything is free. Government takes care of you. Only one condition, jobs are few. So they have a test in class 6, they have a test in class 8, and they have a test in class 10. These three tests, if you don't pass, you get only one chance. You get only one chance. At six, you don't pass. All those who have failed, government sends them to some small training jobs. Eight, you don't pass, they go to for some other. Tenth, so all the poor kids would be absolutely desperate knowing this is the only chance of their lifetime. The rich were not bothered because they knew they could go to India and still study. The poor ones, you need to see them in the school. Always late night, sitting, listening, studying, because they knew this is their only chance in their life. If I don't pass, I'm gone. My career is gone, my life is gone, everything is gone. Only one chance. And I looked at those kids and I really sympathized with them and we helped them so that they could go through the next level. And the exams were not done by the school, it was done by the government board exams. Think about it, that's what God is talking about. There is a eternal judgment coming. One chance. You'll be promoted or just pass. God is very clear. He never lies. He's a very honest father. But he's an incredibly righteous father. Incredibly righteous father. So we, our eyes have to be open to the reality of what eternal judgment is. Why did Jesus, don't take it so lightly, we mock the cross sometimes. Why did he come? Why did he pay this price? What is this all about? So that I could go and have a good time in the world? No way. Something much, much bigger than that. That's why the judgment is called eternal judgment. So do we know? Do we realize how God judges? Do we realize? Do we know? Now when we talk about judgment, right? If your exam comes, you get a question paper. Math question paper. One question is out of syllabus. Everybody will come. The teacher, it was out of syllabus. They won't talk about those other 25 which was off the syllabus. They would always pick up the one because the teacher's fault. Right? So when God gives, going to judge us, he's not going to tell us, he's going to tell us, how is he going to judge us? Right? What's the point of going for an exam if you don't know your subjects? God is very clear how he is going to judge us. Judgment parameters are set in the Bible. So it is to our, if we are zealous about becoming something for eternity in the kingdom, that's why eight times in the book of Revelation, God keeps on saying, he who overcomes. Have you listened in your school? He who does well. 
He who overcomes. He who overcomes. He who God is using the same term. He who overcomes. So what are the we look at only one parameter before we close, maybe under 15-20 minutes. One parameter only. That itself is scary. Just one. One parameter of various judgments. Okay. Like if you go to your office tomorrow and your boss calls you and says, you know. I need that one thing. Peter, I need that one thing. You know that? That paper? I want you to write it down and get it. I need that. It's urgent. I'll, I'm going out. I'll come back. That one thing I need today. And Peter says, okay, okay, sir. And Peter forgets. Peter does a little searching on internet and he has his coffee break and another coffee break. Then he has his lunch break and then suddenly 3.30 this boss comes and says, where's my paper? He says, I'm sorry, 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 sir. I will make it. Remember this one things when God says? Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but only one thing. What is that? Faith working through love. Only one thing. Now be very careful here, because we have heard and heard and heard and heard and heard about faith. I'm not talking about faith. Because Valentine's Day, crossed over last Wednesday, no? Yeah, right? You don't know. I'm very happy with you. If you don't know that day, you are blessed. Don't waste your money. Okay? Let's look at another portion of what the Bible says. First Corinthians 13, 13. Everything only from scripture. We will put our hope and trust in scripture. Now abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is That's why most songs are about this. But that is not a love. That is a counterfeit love. Because what is true, also you need to understand from scripture. Now, we talk about all our works. Scripture says every man will give an account. His deeds, his thoughts, his intentions, his attitudes. Look at how 1 Corinthians 13 begins. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Prophetically gifted. Though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries, all the knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. Every mountain in my way, I ask you to be removed in every breakthrough you are getting. But God says, if you don't have love, you are, on that day, you are, Now look at the third one, even more dangerous. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I'm sac- I have given my entire estate for feeding the poor. Sold everything and given to the poor. And I give my body to be burnt. But have not love. It profits me. Profits me? Nothing. Profits me nothing. Take a look at this. Just take a look at this and see how entirely heaven looks at life different from the way we look at. The first three is what we will all, I want Lord, baptize me Lord, I want to speak in tongues and I want to be very fluent in tongues, so Lord I want to intercede. God says you got all that and you don't have? Lord I want prophetic gifts and miracle gifts and all power ministry Lord, endow me with power ministries Lord, when I wave my hand half the congregation, all the congregation will fall Lord and my church will be full Lord. God says if you don't love your congregation you are worth Lord, you bless me, Lord, I'm going to sacrifice and give it all to feed the poor. God says you don't love them. 
why when the lawyer asked Jesus the question, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And love you, a neighbor as yourself. This is, that's what he asked. Now the problem. The problem is here. The problem is, anything that has got value in the market, there is always knuckly available. Duplicate available. No? As soon as 2000 rupee note came a year and a little year before, within weeks, duplicate came out. Yeah, 50 rupees note also new has come. Have you ever got a duplicate? No. Who's going to make duplicate for 50 rupees? It's, worth, it's not worth it. 2000 rupees plenty. So anything of value, there is a counterfeit in the enemy's kingdom. There is counterfeit faith, which is false. It's not real. Things will happen, but your faith is in your faith, not in the person of God. It's in your faith. You will not say, I can do all things. In Christ Jesus, you will say, I can do all things. And they do a lot of things too. Counterfeit faith, counterfeit love. We don't understand what love is. Because for everybody, love is an emotion. Hold me close. Do you think that's what Jesus is doing in heaven and saying, come, I want to hold you close. Angels don't even have bodies to hold them. This is not what love is. Unless we look into the word, we are all magnifying a counterfeit which the enemy has sold so well. And we make all our decisions even based on that. Oh, Peter is very loving. Oh no, he, Albert is not. Not loving at all. Peter is very loving. What's your, how did you judge his? Oh, Peter is, I remember that movie. Peter is like that man. Very loving. So you have two things here. My love for God, my love for people are not the same. They are not judged the same way. They are absolutely judged differently. They are not the same. God is not looking at you or me. We should sing. We should praise God. But he's not looking at all my songs to say that, ah, Hepzibah really loves me. I saw it today when Pastor Sharon was leading. She was swaying. Ah, she really loves me. That's not what God is looking at. That's not what God looks at. Let's look at what God means by love. Our love for God. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Meaning, if you don't keep my commandments, it doesn't matter how many poems you write and songs you sing. The truth is, you don't love me. You don't love me. Next one. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. You know what God is saying? It's very interesting. The construction is all in the same. Jesus is speaking. First he says, he who loves me, keeps my... First thing, God will give you one thing. One thing. Adam and Eve was only told one thing. Not two things, one thing. Usually all people, when they start, God tells you to do one thing. And every church I preach, the one thing God tells you is come to church one time. That's where it begins. One thing. They never do that one thing. So what happens? He doesn't tell you a second thing. When you get the second thing and the third thing and the fourth thing, that is what this means. 
he who has my commandments now you have his commandments more and more things he is able to tell you this is what i want you to do this is what i want you to do and you are obey and therefore he is able to tell you he has your commandments keeps them he is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and i will love him and manifest myself to him now leave 22 judas Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him, make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine but the father who sent me. Did you see that? It's got nothing got to do with the feeling. The feeling part is this. It's like David. When he does not keep God's commandments, he is heartbroken. He's heartbroken. And he weeps. And he cries. And he's not able to sleep until God restores him. That's why I tell the greatest gift God has given to a believer is the gift of repentance. Because we'll all fail. None of us will be able to keep constantly all the commandments of God. God knows that. But the problem is if it doesn't bother me at all, God says, you know what? You don't really care for me. You don't really care for me. In verse 31, Jesus says about himself, that the world may know that I love the Father. As the Father gave me commandments, so I do. He says, I have done all the things the Father told me. That's how the Father knows that I love him. In 1 John chapter 5, sorry, 4, verse 16 and 17 connects this to the judgment day. And we have known and believed love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, we are also in the, how was he in this world? Tell me that. I will do it. Thy will be done. As he is, so we are on the day of judgment, absolutely bold. Absolutely bold. Absolutely bold. That's why I teach, when I teach, I said, when you are not sure about certain things in the Bible, go by the letter. There's no problem. Don't go start searching all, whenever people, something is there in the Bible, saying do it, and you don't want to do it, you search everything else. Just find one preacher who has said you don't have to do it. difference does it make? God said it. If you are wrong, your interpretation was wrong. Lord, I did it thinking this is what you meant. God said, it's okay, honey. That's not what I meant, but at least you obeyed me. You obeyed me. God's looking at that. That's what when we parents of our children come, we tell the children, do this. And the child has done a sloppy job because he's so small. We're not going to look at this. We don't say, Five years old and you don't know how to wash your plate? That's not the way I mean. We don't say that. You wash your plate? Good job. You did it. The problem is the father says something and you don't do it at all and then you come and say, I love you so much. God says, hello, who are you trying to fool? On the day of judgment, scripture says you can be bold. And there is something he says in John chapter 1, John 5 and verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not 
burdens. You know why we find all these things very difficult? The simple reason is that we don't love God. Everybody knows Valentine's Day, every preacher in every country will talk about Jacob's love for. Why not Leah? How come nobody says Jacob's love for Leah? Because everybody knows he didn't love her. He, everybody, in the carnal way, he only loved. How many years did he work for her? And what does scripture say? It was like a few days. Why? Because of his? That's what God is saying. He's saying, if you really love me, nothing is too far, nothing is too difficult. Those are only excuses. Oh, Wednesday, I can't come in. Oh, I remember, honey, when you fell in love with that guy, remember? You used to travel 25 hours to meet him. Your phone was engaged non-stop. Now church has become too far. And I'm too tired. God says all these things are excuses. Unless they are really genuine. These are all excuses. Because we will do the things which we love. We will actually do the things that we love. You just check your timeline through a day. And you will see after your work, your studies, whatever you are doing, if you have the freedom, are the things which you really love. And some people sleep because you love sleeping. We have to grow in this. This is not a love of man. This is, this is not possible humanly. This is something which God gives us like faith. He gave us a measure of faith to believe. He gives us also love when we believe. This is what 1 John 3 1 says. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. He gives us. He gives us. All the Hindi movies, Hollywood movies, every movie including the one which has gone viral of this Malayali girl who winked her in Valentine's. It's all over internet, WhatsApp, everything. Okay, Let me tell you, all of you, don't pretend. I know you will pretend, but it's true. When you looked at your first boy or your first girl, your heart missed a beat, no? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Did your teacher teach you that? Did the principal say that in the assembly? You see, it was already there. You never knew. You never knew it was there. But that is something of the world. This is something of God. Something of God has. How did you believe? Because he gave you the measure of faith to believe in his grace. That's how you are saved. Even faith is a gift. This love also is a gift. But the things of God's kingdom is if you don't use it, it will remain the same. The more you use it, it grows. The more you use it, it grows. This is not human love because human love fails. That's why God says, even if your mother what? The closest relationship nurturing, protective, the mother and the suckling baby, what does God say? Even if your mother forsakes you, I? He says, every human love has a limit. God says, my love never fails. Never fails. It can never fail. It can never fail. And God says, that's the love that I give you. It is about this love God is saying, you can become perfect in it. Remember when God is talking about, no, everybody loves your own children. Who doesn't love your own children? But God says, can you love somebody else's child like your own? 
That's the problem. Oh, I love, I love, I sacrifice so much. I wake up early in the morning and I make the best dabba for my son. Then I wake him up and I get him ready. I make him do tuition, everything. I have sacrificed. God says Hindu does it, Muslim does it, everybody does it. There's nothing great about it. Will you do the same thing for somebody else's child? That is impossible unless God gives you his love. That is the test. That's the test. Because in this world, you need to realize, that's why the whole world, you have to love somebody that somebody has to look like something the world has shown you. You have to be lovable. That's why people say, it's a multi-billion industry, how to look good, how to dress good, because they have told you, then only you are lovable. That's not God's love. All of us in God's eyes look horrible. Horrible. That's why the sting of a leprosy in the Bible constantly, leprosy was connected, it symbolized as sin. And you look at a leper, that is one person you walk away from. Nose is gone, eyes are gone, fingers are gone. And Lord, he says, of course, and he puts his arms around him. Which man ever has done that? Yes, you're not ugly in my sight. I see the worth of your soul. You're lovely. Fearfully and wonderfully made. My father loves you. You're not able to see people that way. Because we have sold the lie of the world. And we are spending all our money for that looks. All our money for a career in that world. Forgetting to seek God. What are your plans? What are your purpose? Help me to love the unlovable Lord. And we glorify ourselves. You know what? I love my children. God says so does everybody. This is when you love your enemies. That's when your love is perfect like your father's love, he says. That is when it is perfect. The cross has to do a work in us. Honestly. So that we love the one who hung on the cross. Otherwise all these songs are worth nothing. He died on the cross for me. Not for the world. For me. It's very personal. And then from Stephen down to the last martyr died for me to reach the gospel to me. These are people who loved us without seeing us. To see that we could be partakers of that kingdom. They didn't come and talk about good health and good looks and lot of money and houses and cars. They laid their lives on line so that people could enter into this kingdom and start with boldness on the day of judgment. How did we invert this gospel? How did we change this gospel? It's no longer a gospel of the love of God. It's a gospel of the love of the world. And we love them. We love those preachers because they don't irritate us. I hate it all. It's like knife going through butter. Smoothly they talk and never ever mention about the actual love of God caused him his son. And shouldn't there be a response? Shouldn't there be? Think about it. Honestly, in your own life. Like that happened in the Florida shooting. 
that crazy kid, he went with his gun, got in, shot so many people. And one of the persons who died was a football coach. He died trying to save his students. Now those students who survived because he took the bullets, what would they think about him all their life? If a normal kid, he will ask a picture of his father and mother and he will have his picture of the coach. All through his life, people will ask you, who is that man? They will say, that's the man who died for me. That's why I'm here. Why is this man? Who is he? Is he related? He said, more than that. Why? He died, therefore I live. Right before us last week. This is somebody who died for us so that we would live eternally. And he didn't have to die. What's our response? The question is, what is the response of the church? That's what God is saying. If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my commandments. It's not emotions. Emotions are secondary. It's an act of obedience. Incredible act of obedience. God says, grow in it. Grow in it. Grow in it. You have to grow in all of this. When it comes to obeying God, it has three sides. The first side, David talks about in Psalm 119. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. And it's got nothing to do with the commandments. It has got to do with the person who gave the commandments. It's got to do with a person. You will never come to church on time. All these rules are irrelevant because it's connected with the church for you and it's not connected with Jesus. It's not connected with Jesus. If it's connected with Jesus, everything, I was, heart was pounding thinking that I wouldn't make it on time today because there was a little diversion in the morning and then Samir reached two minutes before and I ran in. It's not because I'm the pastor. Even 15, 20 years ago when I used to go for the 7.30 service at 80s, it was the same thing because if you came at 7.25, you had to sit outside. You couldn't go in and you rushed because the last thing you want to was sit outside because this is the high point of the day to come into the house of God and hear that man stop speak. I want to hear the word of God. It didn't matter. They were small kids. Got them ready, put them on the scooter, rushed because it was about a person. I don't want to miss what God has to tell me today. It's simply got to do with the person. And we need to change. Hastily. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. There is this thing, no? About the things of God. Whether it is in repenting of wrong or doing something which he has told you, there is a haste. Because you love him. Love the person. He wants that. That's why I told you last Sunday when before Pastor Vijay preached. What makes our religion different from every? If you want to use, call the ter- term, use the term religion. Hinduism has commands. Many commands. If you read Gita, if you read Rig Veda, different commands are there in Hinduism. Islam has many commands, including the five pillars. Buddhism has, Jain, all of them have commands. But we have something more than the commands. What does Hebrews 3 say? And throughout the Bible, what does it say? Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear this, many of you are hearing his voice through my voice today. 
That's why our religion is different because we serve a living God. He not only gives us commands written in this book, he also speaks to us, to us, to our spirit man, through the voice of man or other voices. He will speak to us and says, when I speak to you, don't harden. Be haste. Do it fast. Don't harden your heart. Because when you delay, a hardening takes place. So you grow in obeying God faster and faster. And God will speak more and more to you. He was telling the pastors. Moses gave the law. The commandments all came through Moses. But 500 years before Moses gave the law, Genesis 26 tells, uh, God tells Isaac, your father knew all of it. The whole law, I gave it to your father. Why did God give it to mother? Because that man learned finally to listen to God's voice and obey him. God says, you take it. Another day will come when I will give it to a nation. But I realize you like obeying me. Take my whole law. This is for you. That's what the whole new covenant is. He says, I will write my laws in your heart. I will speak to you and you will know what you need to do. Over and above this, I will direct your life with my voice. Because I am a living God. A living God. Do it in haste. Second thing, when you obey him, obey him wholly, completely. Don't do partially. We know it very well, but once again. Yeah, Samuel. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from. Now go attack Amalek, utterly destroy all they have. Command was very clear. Utterly destroy. Everything, spare, kill both man, woman, infant, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, everything. Nothing should be left. But what happens? Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agar, king of Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But, but, Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And we were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Samuel as king. Sorry, Saul as king. God says, he didn't obey me. That's what many of us do. God tells us very clearly, you know what? I'm just giving an example, simple, so that you can understand. You know what? You are my child, whether man or woman. You are my child. And the, some of the stuff in your closet doesn't look good on you because you are my child and my son lives in you. So can you get rid of it? Okay. Ah, this anyway, I was planning to give it away. Huh? This I bought only last week. And this, I never liked it anyway. This one, no, I'll keep it for one more month. Wear it a few times very soon and then give it up. That's how we make our decisions. When God says, utterly destroy, we will say, oh, I did. God says, no, you didn't. You didn't. Apply it to different areas of your life and then you will realize. Same thing in the new covenant. Old and new, it's just the same thing. First people who are judged in the church. Acts chapter 5. A certain man named Ananias and Sapphira with his wife sold a possession, but he kept back part of the proceeds. He didn't have to do anything. He came to the apostles and said, sir, just this all outside service. Okay, sir, I want to sell my land. I want to give it everything for the church. Peter said, as the Lord leads. He went, sold it. For 50,000 he sold it. 20,000 he kept at home and he brought 30,000 and said, here is everything. Did you obey God? Did he have to make that choice? No. You pretend something 
but you actually don't obey God fully, you know. He kept back part of the proceed. His wife was also aware of it. So perfect unity in that family. One united family. And laid it at the apostles' feet. And what does Peter said? Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part of the price of the land for you? While it remained, was it not your own? Why do you make these false vows before God? Before people to sound good, I want to give everything to the church. You forgot God is the God who sees you in secret. And they both die. So God hasn't changed in the old or the same. Thank God we don't die now. Because of his mercy. Are you seeing? God is saying, God says, obey me in haste. If you really love me, your speed will increase. You'll be quick. If you love me as you love increases, you will always look. Did I leave out any detail? Give you an example. Simple example. Simple example. Okay. Don't take it and start applying it tomorrow so that you understand. If you love the Lord, you will obey his gift, his command about giving that you need to give to the kingdom. But if you really love the Lord and you really love him as a person, what you will do that, you won't put those notes with Cello tape stuck into the offertory. When you take the money which you want to give to the Lord, you will always separate your notes and take the cleanest, the newest and say, Lord, you deserve this. You deserve this. We, nobody knows. Nobody sees. But there's somebody who says, you saw that child of mine? That kid really loves me. It really loves him. Nobody, I will not know and nobody will know. People do stuff like that. A lot of things which are like, I'm not here of course. But when people donate things to churches, what they cannot use anymore in their house, which a carpenter has to come and fix, is given to the Lord. That's what in Haggai finally God says, you call me God. You call me Father. Where is my honor? Just go to your governor and ask him whether he will accept the things which you have brought to my temple. I could say sometimes, let us go to the bank and ask some of the notes you put in whether it is acceptable. I wouldn't know. But I am telling you, if that is how you do stuff, God is saying, it's not your own. You didn't have to put it. Did I ask you to put it? You didn't have to. Even if you put no offering, you know that man always says you don't have to put. He's not going to say anything. I am not going to say anything. Why did you pretend? Suddenly we realize this test of love is a serious thing. It's a very serious thing. And God says slowly learn and change. Lord, I'm sorry. I want to change because I really love you. And I want to change in those areas. I want to make haste. I want to be complete in my obedience. That's all not enough. Deuteronomy 28, verse 45 and 47. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue, overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which your voice and commandments statutes, okay? And then 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. The most miserable people you sometimes meet are people who are supposedly in full-time ministry. So miserable. 
like pastor sharon was saying are you were watching a cricket match soccer match even before a tv you have to see people's excitement believers not talking unbeliever leave the unbeliever our job is never to talk about them our job is to talk what happens you have to see their excitement and you have to see the excitement people when they come to church here i trained you well 10 years but other places people will start giving signals some places i am very clear i am blunt i tell them put a clock there put a clock there so that way you can turn and your neck won't hurt i am not going to stop because your pastor gave me this much time i want to preach because i came here to preach not to entertain you i look how many more minutes how many more minutes when the cricket match is going on nobody says oh, only 10 more overs left india won't win lord please lord sachin i also did this once upon a lord sachin lord let it not get out every time i prayed for sachin he got out <laughs> then i realized this is not going to work with god so every time sachin came i learned my lesson and said lord let your will be done <laughs> <laughs> See, we went through this process but i am saying now that we know now that we are growing change your affections towards this one person who really loved us loves us and will love us for all eternity nobody nobody that is beauty when bible is talking about he is the fairest of 10000 it is not talking about his looks it's talking about his affection for us affection for us That's what he's talking about. Joyfully. That's why God says he loves a cheerful giver. Whatever you give to the Lord, do it cheerfully. Sing a song. Don't be grumpy. Don't be grumpy. Do you remember when the old man, Uncle Abraham, the father of believers, started his journey? Terah took his son, Abraham, grandson, Lord, son of Haran. Okay, they all. And they went out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan. They came to Haran and dwelt there. He didn't go to Canaan. Did he obey? Yes. But his foot is dragging. Why? Daddy is saying, I don't want to go any further. I'm going to stay at Haran. I'm not going any further. So suddenly he is also slowing down. But he was told very clearly, leave your father, leave your household, leave your country, go. He got stuck over there. This is his beginning. We don't know how old he is here. When he enters after his father's death, he's seventy-five. So maybe he's sixty, sixty-five. We don't know. Now look at. Fast forward now, Genesis twenty-two. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, and he went. When is this happening? Now he's an old man. The previous night the Lord told him, "I will show you a place. Make a three-day journey. Take your son, your only son." and offer him as a did you see the speed did you see the speed did you see how this man has grown the man who dragged his feet unwilling to leave his living father is now rushing to sacrifice his only son because he has learned to obey the lord in haste do you see the difference Look at verse 9 and 
They came to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood, and he raised his knife. Did he obey him fully? Hmm? Fully? Good. Hmm. Let me do something. I will tie the rope a little lightly so that he will break free, and then I can tell God I couldn't do anything. The boy ran away. <laughs> God, I, I mean, he doesn't get nervous, but if God was a man, he would have got nervous because this man lifted the knife. We wouldn't do that. We will try to do one small cut. Nothing. <laughs> so not only did he make haste, he is obeying holy, holy, holy. He not only obeyed him in haste, not only obeyed him holy, but look at verse 5. When he's going up, what he says. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and cheerfully. The first time the word worship is used in the Bible. That's when we become true worshippers. That's when we become true worshippers. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, you got your worship wrong, honey. People, it's not about our place. It is about how you do it. God is seeking for worshippers who will worship him in truth and in spirit. And here is this man who has climbed, obeyed the Lord hastily, given a completely, lifted his knife up. God says, you're a true worshipper, Abraham. You know what James would say in James chapter 2? Was not our Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by his works Faith was made perfect. God had told him, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. When did Abraham become perfect? When he lifted that knife, bound his son, God says, this is what I wanted from each one of you. You are the father of believers. When did he begin this journey? When he heard the voice of the Lord in the hour of the Chaldean, started his journey, God says, you are righteous. Years later, when he bound his son and lifted his knife, he says, your faith is perfect now. That is the journey we are taking. In haste, completely, cheerfully. That's a worshipper. And worship has got nothing to do with songs. It's got nothing to do with songs. 79 times in the New Testament, the word worship is used. 155 times in the Old Testament, the word worship is used. Only once it is connected with a song. Never in any of the other contexts does it even talk about a song. But worship is talking about a lifestyle. When you have given yourself in haste, wholly and completely and joyfully to the Lord. God says you are a worshipper. You're a worshipper. The minute you add worship to something that is happening over here for the first half an hour, you have restricted God to half an hour a week in your life. God says that is not a true worshipper. A true worshipper is the one who has constantly surrendering his life for my glory. And he does it in haste, he does it completely, and he does it joyfully. And such I am seeking. On that day, God says, you stand before me on that. You can be unashamed, you can be joyful, you can be incredibly bold, because all your works will come through. All your works will come through. Because you understood what love was. You understood what this was all about. But start the journey. 
We don't reach there. Abraham did not reach there one day. My only thing is that be on that journey. Be on that journey. Be on that journey. And ask him every day. Because that faith we don't have, that love we don't have. But he gives. And he gives. And he gives. We ask. He gives. That's why the spirit has been given. Come, let's stand. He's a good God. He's an awesome, awesome God. Keep this in mind. All of us will have to face that day. We cannot prepare for death. Nobody knows when that day or that hour will come. But we can prepare for judgment each day. We can prepare. Because the Bible says you can. Scripture says you do not have to be ashamed at all at his coming. But let our confidence be real based on the truth of God's word and the confirmation the Holy Spirit gives us in our spirit. Let it not be mere speculations. We need to be very sure that what I believe is true. And John says you can. And Peter says you can. He says if you do all these things, he says you will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. Because God will never ask you or me to do impossible things. Everything he says is possible if we believe. That's why he says all things are possible to him or who believes. How much we believe for things in this world? How much more we should believe for the things of the kingdom? For the king. Father, this morning we just stand before thee. We just want to say, Father, we have always come short of our faith walk and our love walk. Your word says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters in Christ Jesus. Only one thing counts. That is faith working through love. And you have said in your word, the greatest of this is love. And you also says, if we love us, you will, we love you, we will keep your commands. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you will speak to each one standing here today. Each one. That one command they need to keep. That one thing they have consistently disobeyed. That one thing. You are able to bring to their remembrance that one thing. That it will not go for them from their mind this whole day. Until they have dealt it with God in the prayer closet. That one thing. Let them not wander like the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness anymore, Lord. Let there be a clear direction in their walk. Reveal to us that one thing that displeases you. That one thing we need to do so that we can hear the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the day will come in our life at Cabin John's life in the island of Patmos. He heard the voice of the Lord like a trumpet in his ear, O God. Because you're a God who speaks. There are enough idols in this country, Lord. We will not make you one. You are a living God who speaks to his people. Words of comfort, words of concern, words of rebuke, but you speak. I pray, Lord, no one, no one in this house 
will go through life without hearing your voice and obeying your commands. Commit the church into thy hands and this coming week into thy hands. I pray, Lord, you will go before us. Go before each one. Our paths are crooked. There are mountains on the way. Deep valleys on the way. But you have promised, O oh Lord, you will make our crooked path straight. You will bring down those mountains and fill that valley, O oh Lord. Not for us to walk in comfort, but as we walk, the Prince of Glory will come into that pathway, Lord. And when we go to our schools and our colleges and our offices and our homes, oh Father, your presence and your glory will accompany us, O oh God. Help us to believe. Help us to obey. Help us to experience more of your life this week, Lord. I speak healing into every sick body. I speak healing and deliverance into every troubled mind. And I speak wholeness, Lord. Be made whole. Be made whole. In Jesus' name, be made whole. That we may truly worship you in spirit and truth, O oh God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We just bless your holy name. We lift up holy hands and we just bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.